me take this opportunity to welcome our visitors to the service this morning. We're glad that you're here. We'd encourage you to come back and meet with us again. If you turn with me this morning to the Ephesian letter in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, Paul said, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, when in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved, and hath been raised up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. There are many people today who have concluded from a reading of this passage that a man is saved by grace alone. There are many creed books and disciplines that read that a man is saved by grace alone. One of them said it is a wholesome doctrine full of great comfort. And yet the passage does not say that we are saved by grace alone. There are others that say that we are saved by faith only. Martin Luther, for instance, in Romans 5 and verse 1, wrote the word only in his Bible. And his conclusion is that we're saved by faith only. Romans 5 and verse 1 does not state that. It states that we're justified by faith, but it nowhere says we're saved by faith only. Martin Luther concluded that James, since James 2 and verse 26, says, you see that by works a man is justified and not by faith only was a book of straw. And thus he said there was a conflict between Paul and James. You had to discount one. You couldn't take them both. And so as far as he was concerned, the book of James did not belong in the Bible. I believe that there's harmony between Paul's writings in the book of Romans and the book of James. And I think the Ephesian letter becomes an explanation to that and the passage that I just read. We are saved by grace, that's clear. But we're not saved by grace alone. Grace is the divine side of salvation. Grace is that that we could not do. But it's faith that takes our obedience to the commands of the gospel and makes grace, or makes makes it where we might accept the grace of God which is in Christ. It's faith that gives us access into the grace of God. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, You are 
saved by grace through faith. Now note that down in your mind. You're saved by grace through faith. It's faith that means that the works of obedience that we do in order to be saved are not works of merit. We can't earn salvation. There's not enough things that I could do so that I could earn my salvation. I am saved by the grace of God. God made it possible for my salvation. That's the grounds of my salvation. But that does not mean that salvation is not conditional. And as I, through faith, keep the conditions of salvation, then I accept the grace of God which is in Christ. I must accept the grace of God in Christ by obedience in keeping the conditions of salvation in order to accept the ground of my salvation which is the cross of Christ. Note this passage again. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so there's a kind of works that I can do that will not merit salvation. And these works will not accept the grace of God. But then in verse 10, There's a kind of works that I can do that by faith become a different kind and quality of work. They're not works of merit, but they're simply obedience under the commands of the gospel of Christ. And thus it's by these conditions or by obedience to these commands or by obedience to this law that I accept the grace of God which is in Christ that I accept the pardon which is available in the cross of Christ. So in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, he said, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath prepared that we should walk in. Look in another passage. Turn back to the fourth chapter of the book of Romans in verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end that the promise might be made sure to the seed, not to those only of the law, but to them which are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Paul said in Romans 4.16 that it is of faith that it might be by grace. Without faith, then the grace of God would be negated when we performed any act of obedience on our part. But with faith, we accept the grace of God. As we obey God as an act of faith, that accepts the grace of God which has been extended. In Romans 5, 2, he says the same thing. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Note that. By Christ. And by the provisions that Christ has made possible in the cross, we have access by faith into the grace of God. You take the works that we perform, apart from faith, they become works of merit. Thus in Romans 4.4, 4, 
He says, Now unto him that worketh it is reward, not reckoned of grace, but debt. And so it's a maturous work apart from faith. It would be a debt. And we would earn something. But faith makes it possible that the works of obedience that we do are not earning anything. The truth of the matter, I think we'll see before the morning's over why this is possible. The word faith, according to Mr. Thayer's Greek lexicon, means trust co-joined with obedience. It's faith, trusting in God, the first side of faith, that accepts the grace of God and obeys and makes it possible that our works, that is, our obedience to God, is not a work of marriage. But it is simply trusting in God and accepting the grace of God. And without those works, without that obedience, one does not trust God to accept the grace of God, the gift of God, the salvation that God has made possible. It takes both sides. It takes one's obedience and one's trust in God, and that's what real Bible faith is, in order to make it possible for the grace of God to extend salvation to us. That's why Paul says what he does in Ephesians 2 in verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works which God hath prepared that we should walk in. If you take faith, and take from that faith the element of trust, then our obedience becomes a work of merit, and it will not save. But faith reaching out and trust to God to accept the salvation provided by God and obedience to the commands of God becomes saving faith. And that's what James is talking about in James 2 when he talks about the works that perfect faith. It's works of obedience that reach out in trust to accept the ground of salvation, the cross of Christ, what Christ has done. And it leads one to do for other people. I've got a chart this morning that I want us to look at that I think will be helpful in our study and the things that we've been talking about. Ken, if you'll help me. Alright, let's look at what we're talking about. I hope you have your Bible with you. We're going to look at these passages. 
And if we run out of time, we won't look at all of them. But our first passage is in the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis. And in these passages and any other, we'll find the very principle of by grace through faith. And these passages will find the grace of God. There can be no salvation. There can be no deliverance without God's grace. But how is God's grace going to be accepted? It's going to be accepted by faith. That's trust co-joined with obedience. And that accepts the law of God. There are people today that say that grace cancels out law. It's strange to me that the writers of the New Testament, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think, answered any false doctrine before it could ever be made. And the words law are no law. The words no law appear in three passages in the New Testament. One of them... Is in Galatians chapter 5 where he talks about the attitude that a Christian has and he says against such there is no law. In other words, there's no law against having the attitude that a Christian is supposed to have, the attributes of life. But the other two passages bear on the context of those who say grace excludes all law. In the book of Romans, you'll find both of these passages. Romans chapter 4 and verse 15, for instance, says, Because the law worketh right, for where law is, there is no transgression. Now mark that. For where no law is, there is no transgression. And then the other passage is Romans chapter 5 and verse 13. For under the law sin was in, was in the world, and sin was not imputed where there is no law. It's quite clear from just reading the passages that these passages are not saying that grace means there's no law. Both of the passages are saying very plainly, if there's no law, there's no sin. There's got to be law. Now, that's the only three times in the New Testament you'll find the words no law. That seems quite clear to me that the Holy Spirit didn't want us to ever get the idea that grace means there's no law. Grace means there must be law. Because it's the law that establishes grace. Without the law, there could be no grace extended. It's through the law that God extends grace by faith. And we'll see that and be thankful. In Genesis 6, you'll recall that the thought and imagination of man was only evil continuing that repented the Lord that he made man that grieved him in his heart. But the account tells us but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and there God's grace extended. Well, how is one going to accept God's grace that has been extended? Through faith. What does it mean to accept God's grace through faith? 
It means for an individual to reach out and trust of God and obey the commands of God. Thus, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22, it says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. He trusted God. He kept the law of God. God had given his law, Genesis 6 verse 14, beginning, Make thee an ark of gopher wood, room shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. There can be no grace without law. It's law that made grace possible. And it's through faith in not the law, but faith in God. That Noah obeyed God and accepted the grace of God which had been extended. Look at the Hebrews letter in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews in verse 7. The account tells us that by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the Satan's house, by which he condemned the world, became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. And so it was by faith, by trust and obedience, that Noah accepted the grace of God which had been extended in keeping with the law of God. But then again, in Genesis chapter 12, you find Abraham's call. In Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, you have emphasized the grace of God that is extended in the call of Abraham. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. While the word grace is not used in that, in that passage, that's exactly what God had extended to Abraham. He had extended God's grace. He said, I will make, and the very language there is intended to denote the grace of God. What God would do, not what Abraham would do, but here's what I will do. I will make of thee a great nation. Well, how is Abraham going to accept the law of God? If Abraham had not obeyed the command of God or obeyed the law of God which had been given in chapter 12 and verse 1, the Lord said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and thy father's house and the land that I will show thee. If he had not obeyed that law, could God's grace have been extended? Could God have made of him a great nation? Well, surely not. It was faith that made that possible. In chapter 12 and verse 4, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. The Hebrews writer again in talking about that in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, verses 8 through 10, makes this comment. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which he should have to receive an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, 
dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What did he do? He, through faith, trusted God and obeyed God. That's exactly the language of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. By faith, when he was called to go out to a place which he should receive an inheritance, obey. There are the two elements that are in faith. He trusted God and he obeyed God. He kept the law of God as God had said, get thee out. And in doing so, he accepted the grace of God which had been extended. Look again at the book of Exodus in the 12th and 13th chapters of the book of Exodus. You recall that the children of Israel are about to depart from Egyptian bondage. Nine plagues have been brought on the Egyptians, and God's going to extend one more plague. This plague is the death of the firstborn. In Exodus 12 and 13, you find the Passover feast executed. In chapter 13, you have some comments on the Passover feast, and you have the grace of God underscored a number of times in these chapters, but we'll simply look at chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now underscore it. He doesn't say grace, but look at the language he uses. For by the strength of the hand of the Lord brought you out of this place, and there shall be no unleavened bread and this day shall that you came out in the month Abed, and it shall be that when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, or Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, to give you sight which he swore unto thy fathers to give thee. Underscore that. There's grace. To give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that if thou keep this service in this month, seven days shall thou eat unleavened bread, and the seventh day shall be the feast of the Lord. And so when he brings them out, God's grace is extended. It's the gift of God. God said, or Moses said about God, it's by the strength of the hand of the Lord that will bring you out. That was not a one of them. That in his own strength could come out of the light. If that were the case, they would have left the servitude and the bondage of the land long before night. And yet, did that mean because that this was by grace that any act of obedience on their part would be excluded? Faith means that we trust God and that we obey God. Not simply trusting God. That's just objective faith. But our faith must become subjective. We must obey God. We must Keep the commands of God. In Exodus chapter 13 and verse 8, he said, And I shall sow thy son in that day. This is done because that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth. God said, I'll bring you out. What if they'd have sat down and wouldn't have come out? What about those folks? That when God gave the 
instructions concerning the Passover feast decided, you know, an old lamb's a nasty thing, and I don't want to kill that thing, and I don't like blood anyway. And the law, the instruction was specifically given how they were to put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, and how they would observe this Passover feast, this first Passover feast. Suppose he'd have been one who said, I don't want blood over my linen and on my doorpost and on my door. That would make it look nice. What about if I just sprinkle a little blood on the lintel, on the top, and I leave the doorpost alone, and I leave the door alone? Would that man have had his house passed and the firstborn leave? Well, he could say, I trust God to bring me out. God said he'd do it. By the strength of the hand of the Lord will he bring you out. He had to trust God and he had to express that trust and obedience. Mark, trust that is not expressed in obedience will not save. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is trust that expresses itself in obedience to the law of God. Look again at Numbers chapter 21. At Numbers 21, in Numbers 21, you will recall that the people have rebelled against God Almighty because of the hardness of the way and the discouragement that there was there. And they spake against God, verse 5, and against Moses. And verse 6 says, The Lord sent fire serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of the people of Israel died. Here are fire serpents. Men, women, boys and girls are living in rebellion, disobedience to the command of God, and they are dying. What are they going to do? Well, the account tells us, that the Lord spake unto Moses, or first verse 7, the people come unto Moses and say, We have sinned. Verse 8, the Lord spake unto Moses, Make thee a fire serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looks upon it shall live. And Moses made the serpent of brass, and he put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten a man, or any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, question. Were they saved by the serpent of brass? Or were they saved by God's grace? Just as sure as I'm standing before you this morning in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 8, the Lord said unto Moses, Make a fire serpent. Moat or brass serpent, God is saying that I'll save them by my grace. Well, how were they to accept that grace? By trusting in that snake that Moses stuck up there before them? Surely not. But by trusting in God and obeying God, looking upon that fire serpent. You'll recall that a problem came up about that same brass serpent. In the book of 2 Kings, in the 18th chapter, 
of the book of Second Kings, you remember that Hezekiah had to destroy that brass serpent because some of the people in his day thought something magic had come out of that serpent. But it wasn't that serpent that saved. It was God in whom they trusted as they obeyed God and looked upon that serpent. Jesus mentions this in the third chapter of the book of John. He says in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have life everlasting. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have life everlasting. Moses saved those people by God's grace as they trusted God, obeyed God looking upon that serpent. How many of them were saved, folks? All of them that said, I believe that I can be saved, or all of them that looked on that serpent? Only the ones who obeyed God. That's what John 3 says in verse 36 in the American Standard Version. He that believeth on the Son hath eternal life. He that obeyeth not the Son shall not see life of the wrath of God about his own. An individual who by grace is saved through faith is an individual who trusts God and obeys the commands of God to keep the law of God. And, of course, God gave that law in Numbers chapter 21, verse 8. Whoever look on that side. I can look again at the 6th chapter of the book of Joshua. You recall that this is when the children of Israel go in to take the city of Jericho. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2 says, The Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto thy hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of Bible. There's God's grace. I gave it to you. But simply because God's grace has been extended, does it mean it's not going to be conditional? God's extended his grace. Their salvation was by grace. Does that mean that any works that I do are going to be works of merit? Without faith, it'd be. But Ephesians 2, verse 8 says it's by grace through faith. It's faith that made it possible that the work that they did was not a work of merit, but a work that simply accepted the grace of God, which was extended to them. And so faith looked in trust to God and obeyed the commands of God, the law of God. And it was the law of God that made it possible for God to express, extend grace to us. He gave a specific law in Joshua 6, verses 3 through 5. Had they disobeyed that law, and had they failed to march around the city as God had commanded them to do, and on the seventh day to march around the city seven times, and on the seventh day to blow on the trumpets and everything that God had commanded them to do, then God could not have extended grace to them. It was the expression of their trust in God. When they obeyed God, it made it possible for God's grace to be extended and for their salvation 
be given. But then again, look at Judges 7, you've got the same thing in Gideon. God's grace is extended, and of course, God realized that if they overran the Midianites with the great number that they had, if they started out and overran them with 32,000, then they'd say, we did this. And so God said, you've got two men. And they bring those numbers on down to 22,000, then to 10,000, and finally you get down to the only 300 of them. And then they all know that the only way that they can be saved is by the grace of God. But with the grace of God, without law, the grace excludes life. No, it's the law that established the grace of God. It's the law that it made possible for man to be saved by grace through faith. God had given instructions. What if they disobeyed those instructions? What if Gideon had decided 300 is not enough, we better take 500? He would have disobeyed the command of God, and thus God could not have extended salvation. God's grace is, is seen in Judges chapter 7 and verse 7, where the Lord said, I will save you. In Judges chapter 7 and verse 9 and in verse 15, I will deliver them into thy hand. God was going to do it. But in order for them to accept the grace of God, they had to trust God and they had to obey God. Thus in Hebrews eleven thirty-two, the Hebrews writer says, I don't have time to tell you about the faith of all these folks, but don't forget the faith of Jesus. Don't forget their faith as they accepted the grace of God, which was in Christ. Then in 2 Kings 5, you have the healing of Naaman the leper, and you have the same thing over again. God's grace is accepted through faith. God's grace is extended. In chapter 5, verse 3, chapter 5, verse 8, chapter 5, verse 7, 15 through 17, you have the fact that Gideon couldn't heal himself of that leper. Only by the prophet of God could there be healed. God's grace was extended through the prophet. And then, of course, in chapter 5 and verse 14, after Gideon one time had said, I thought he'd do it some other way, and the account says he was made. And he just walked off. But he decided that the only way I can be healed is God's way. And the account says, and then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. There it is, by grace through faith. He dipped in the Jordan River, did exactly what God said do. Kept the law of God establishing the grace of God, making it possible for grace to save him by faith, trusting God. He didn't trust that Jordan River. Well, that's what he said. There's some rivers in my land just as good as the Jordan. He is right about that. But the only way that that man could be saved was by trusting God and obeying God. 
doing exactly what God said to do. What about us today? It's the same thing. Turn to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. In Acts 16, you have the example of the case of conversion of the Philippian gate. How's that man saved? He's saved by the grace of God. Verse 28, Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He realized he couldn't earn salvation. That salvation was by the grace of God. But how was that salvation accepted? By faith that trusted and obeyed. They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I shall be saved in thy house. And they spake the word of the Lord unto him and all that were in fire. The account tells us he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his great work. He looked to God in trust and obeyed God. And as he obeyed God and kept the law of God, that man was saved. And that's the only way that anyone can be saved today. By obedience under the law of God, by keeping the commands of God, the conditions of salvation. Does that earn salvation? No, sir. That's simply trusting in God to accept the grace of God which is extended in Christ the cross. I want to close by showing you some people that did not want to do that. They wanted to practice faith only. There's some Bible folks like that. They said, God's grace has been extended. Therefore, man saved by faith only. Turn to the 12th chapter of the book of John. The account says, beginning in John chapter 12, verse 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, and believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth him, seeth him that sent me. I am the light of the world. Jesus said, faith required. What is that? That's trust and obedience. Look back up at this group of people who said, I have faith. But their faith was faith only. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They had an objective faith, but they wouldn't obey. And thus they wouldn't accept the grace of God. Jesus was pleading with them, If you believe that I am the Son of God, why not obey me? Yield to me. If we're going to be saved, it'll be because of the grace of God, the cross of Christ. But that does not mean that there are no conditions. If one's going to be saved, he must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24. He must repent of his past sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. He must confess the noble name of the Lord and be immersed for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. Is that trusting in baptism to say, no, sir? 
If your repentance is not tied to faith, it's not Bible repentance. Bible repentance is faith acknowledging sin. If your confession is not tied to faith or the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it's not the right confession. And if your baptism is not an expression of your faith in the cross of Christ to save, it's not Bible baptism. Baptism is an expression of one's faith in the cross of Christ. The blood of Jesus to wash away one's sins, Acts 22 and verse 16, Ephesians 1, 7. And that's what says. It's God's grace accepted by faith. And that's what Ephesians 2 says. And it's the law, God's command, that established the grace of God of victim sake. If you're not a Christian this morning, we implore you to come while I'm getting a standing while we sing.